What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. School of Humans. Hello, welcome to this week's chaotic episode of Cadaver Gals, the podcast where we talk about all of the ways that people have died to cope with our own mortality. Um, but really, we're all just afraid now. <laughs> I'm your host, Taylor, along with Nika. Oh, hello. And Gabby. Hey, why did you say it was chaotic right at the beginning? We don't even know yet, Taylor. Okay, that's fair. Guys, it's so hard being as cute as I am. Like, I'm just yes. looking at this picture I took of myself, and thank you, Lord, honestly. You're welcome. <laughs> like, I project your chaos. See, that is chaos, okay? Okay, it's called having self-esteem, but... No, that's fine, but we're already off topic. Okay, great. What are we talking about today? Today, we're going to talk about robots and the infamous death of Graham Parsons. Today's trigger warnings are drugs, drug overdose, AI, robots, burning, death dying bodies all of the things that we all love we um all right let's just go let's just get it over with okay great welcome back I mean, not welcome back. That was our music. <laughs> I'm Taylor, delirious. Are you okay? You know, I'm not sure. Are you about to cry? Um, I like it. I want more. I don't want crying, but if it happens, I think that makes good audio. Okay, great. <laughs> Gabby, that's Gabby's podcasting method. She'll be like, hey, like, if you cry, that's okay. Yeah. 
You know, some people have, and specifically men, have this thing where they like seeing women cry. And this was actually popularized in, I think, Japan or South Korea, where basically women would create reels of themselves crying, and then they would sell them for a lot of money to men who like to watch that. That's crazy, Nika, because you do that for free on Instagram. Okay, <laughs> you bitch. I do. I do. Uh- but sometimes, like, if I'm crying over something stupid, I'll take a picture to remind myself that I look stupid and I am stupid. So, anyway, Nika. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, me. My, my story. Love right. that self-confidence, Taylor. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm all here about the self-confidence today. <laughs> We're on the opposite poles of self-confidence right now. I am borderline, like, manic. I am God, right? And Taylor is like... I am stupid. Okay, cool. So, Nika, tell us everything about Graham Parsons. First of all, Taylor, I want to thank you for giving me this idea for the story. It was fascinating, and I love learning about these things. Specifically, I love learning about American culture because I did not grow up here, and so it's always interesting to find and research things like this. Okay, so it actually came from my dad. My dad was telling me about it. He's like this huge, like, he's a music dude. He was in the radio his whole life, DJ. You know, so so he knows he knows all about all of the musicians ever. Uh, I hope he doesn't fact check me. Okay, so oh my god, we're I just taking- really, wait. I just really <laughs> delayed myself with this joke because you said opposite poles, and so I feel like Taylor's the South Pole, and then you're the Strip Pole. Anyway, sorry, <laughs> Gabby. Sorry, the way you are attacking me today. It's going to be bad. Anyway, t- I'm sorry. Do your story. is a threat. The silence <laughs> is the threat. I don't think you understand. Gabby's like, how do you know this show's going to be chaos today? Okay. okay. You set okay. the tone. Can we focus? Can we yes, focus, I'm please? focused. Thank you. Also, I got my new nails done. And so, Gabby, I'm literally going to gouge your eyes out. Okay. Yay. So, let's focus up. We're taking a musical trip to the 1960s. We're going on a trip in my favorite. Okay. Um, We're going to the 1960s. And this talented artist known as Graham Parsons was living his life blending country music and psychedelic California rock into this fascinating sound. Very cosmic, very weird, very country too. Like I think there's banjos in his music, which I found so fun. I love that. I know, right? I highly encourage listening to some of his records today as we talk about this. One of his singles is called Hickory Wind, and it was so very country. And then also, my favorite song of his is Hot Burrito Number 1 by the Flying Burrito Brothers. Um, <laughs> yes, it was amazing. I had so much fun researching this. Anyway, so... He was born in Florida and grew up in Georgia, of all places, which that is where we are all based, so it's really fun, in this very, very small town. He left his small town living to go to Harvard, and he didn't love it there, so he kind of stayed for like five months and just played music and chilled, I guess, as you do in the 60s when you go to an Ivy League school. I wouldn't know. Maybe, Gabby, maybe you know more about this than I do. No, I I was very stressed. I was there in the 2010s, so it was different. We actually had to, like, do homework. We couldn't just be white men. Not just do drugs and music. Okay, gotcha. Um, Well, 
he ended up just kind of hanging out on campus for a little bit, playing music, meeting with other artists in Massachusetts. And then this kind of music trajectory had him bop around the country for a while. Uh, he became well-known. He joined the band The Birds and really helped infuse more country into their sound. And he was just living his like late 60s traveling musician life, for, which, by the way, that kind of life back then, I cannot even imagine the insanity of what must have went down. The amount of illegal substances and the amount of really cool stories, I just, I find it fascinating. So he ended up recording a solo album and then a little bit after he started to have kind of a hard time. He and his wife were in the process of getting divorced. His house in Laurel Canyon went on fire, which is terrible. And so he was kind of living with a friend for a while. And so he kind of just threw himself back into the studio to start recording his second album, just get away from it all, right? And so before this, he, as I said, lots of drugs, lots of illegal substances, partied really hard, stuff like that. But it seems like during the recording of his second album, he kind of mellowed out. And his manager explained that he just saw a different side of Graham. You know, he was very all about the music, not really you know, drinking or doing drugs or whatever. And it was just good for him. So things were kind of on the up. He also rekindled a romance while still in the process of getting separated with um, his high school sweetheart, which... Oh, that's cute. I guess so, yes. I mean, if you told yeah. I me... Mean, <laughs> Depends on your high school sweetheart. I, literally, exactly. <laughs> like, I feel like yeah, I was a very fair. different person in high school than when I am now. Two years ago. Okay, anyway. And to think of the person that I was with in high school, if I ever do that... Like, please ship me off to an island and put me in quarantine because I must have, like, you know, lost my mind a little bit. Um, but apparently he was loving. He loved it. He was happy, which is good. And, again, kind of sweet. Sorry for being so cynical. See, that's cute now. He's happy. <laughs> Happiness is so cute. Mm. It truly is. So he had just finished recording his second album. Things were on the up. So he and his high school sweetheart, as I said, Margaret Fisher, plus his assistant, Michael Martins, and Martin's girlfriend, all decide to go on a little vacation in September of 1973. He had just finished recording his second album. His road manager was like, dude, go take it easy. Go to, on a vacation. And Graham loved the desert, loved Joshua Tree specifically, would go there all the time, loved to relax there, loved to stay at the Joshua Tree Inn, which is this iconic motel in 29 Palms in Joshua Tree. And so he and Margaret stayed in room eight. He was just kind of hanging out, chilling, definitely started partying again, loved to go to the bars, played music there, just relaxed. And everyone in the group were doing very hard drugs. So sadly, he was kind of going back to that lifestyle but he's on vacation you know oh okay well he was on vacation but i think you will eat your words when i tell you what happened september 19th he and margaret are doing drugs that he got from this guy's ex-wife who he ran into they she got him morphine which i don't i don't know that people could do morphine as a drug i mean i know you get addicted to it but like i didn't know that back in the 60s they were so just that was like what people yeah were. just like dealing morphine injecting it like that just seems real intense <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh yeah i have no that's, interest that's in that. some hard stuff yeah, yeah. exactly Ooh, um, i almost died on morphine not to brag from from your concussion no right 
No, is when I was a little kid, I had hip surgery because I'm actually an old person in a young person's body. And Benjamin Button vibes. Yeah, and then I was at the <laughs> I was a kid, but I was at this like adult hospital, and they weren't supervising me, so you just had like the morphine drip, and I just there was a red button, so I kept hitting it a lot <gasps> because I didn't know it was up, and then I yeah, like. Me. I like what? stopped breathing, but then my dad was there. He's like, she's not breathing. And they're like, oh, oopsies. But that's why I'm like this today. Gabby. Oh, Gabby. What? I'm just like Graham Parsons, but different. Did you see, did you see heaven at all? Like, did you have a near-death situation or did you just not remember? No, all I remember is like when I finally woke up, for some reason, my butt was out. And I was like 11 and I was like, nurse, why is my butt out? And she didn't have a good response. So I don't know why my butt was out. That's all I'm saying. And that stupid little hospital gown. They don't make those very secure. All right. I feel like every... I'm glad you're okay. Yeah, me too. I feel like every episode we find out more and more about Gabby's tragic past. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Okay. So (laughs) back to the story. So he got the morphine and both of them were very high and then he lost consciousness and Margaret couldn't wake him up. That's a problem. That's a problem. That is. Mm -hmm. So she runs to Michael's girlfriend's room, which by the way, her name is Dale. Okay. She runs to Dale's room. Yes. Because Michael was off getting more drugs for everyone in LA. Okay. And she's like, Graham is unconscious. Mm, I need help. Get me some ice too. So Dale does that, gets ice, goes to help in whatever way she can. It seems like Margaret believed that putting ice up your butthole shocks the system into consciousness. And they did it to Graham. And according to both women, he woke up and was walking around the room and seemed fine, joked around about why his pants were down, the whole thing. And this is very Gabby. This like, is just like my scenario. Because his pants were also down. <gasps> wow. Weird. But I don't That's know if weird. they did the, the ice, you know, method at the hospital of revival. I, is Gabby, is Gabby um, the reincarnation of Graham Parsons? Gabby, when, when were you born? Not 1973. Yeah, no, I wasn't. <laughs> I was born in 91. Okay, never mind. But sometimes with reincarnation, it takes a few years, you know? Okay, well, yeah. you never know. Um, anyway, that's so weird though, Gabby. Okay. So he was walking around and seemed fine. They kept chilling in the room for a little bit. And then Dale goes to her room. He's like, y'all seem to have this handled. So I'm going to go now. Margaret then decides to go and get some food and coffee for the both of them because they're both still off and just like high and stuff. And so she asks Dale to watch, um, Graham while she goes to get food. Dale grabs a book, goes to watch Graham. Graham is asleep in the bed. It was like a twin bed situation and... Dale was on one side, one bed, and Graham was sleeping on the other. When suddenly Dale realizes that Graham is breathing very heavy and like it's very like labored breathing, and then he stops breathing, which is really bad. So obviously she tries to go get help. Dale tries to give him mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, but it doesn't work. And then Margaret's there by now. So she and Margaret call an ambulance, and sadly he died of an overdose. Oh, on morph so of the morphine specifically? Yes. I mean, they were doing a lot of shit, but the substance named that did it was morphine. He was in the 27 Club, wasn't he? He's like two months away, like a month and a half away of being in the 27 Club. Well, he's almost in the 27 Club. That counts, I think. First of all, I'm glad that the both of you have survived the age of 27. 
Because that's scary. That's Thank scary. You. I have not. It is a scary yet. age. Yeah. When you get there, you're going to you're gonna be on your toes. Tippy I toes. I thought about it a lot. I was like, oh, 27, it's scary. <laughs> Could I die? Every day of age 27, you're like, ah, ah, ah. Yeah. Great. I'm so looking forward to it. <laughs> Can we uh, go back to Grand this Parsons, tragic yes. death? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you. Obviously, this is really sad and terrible and tragic, and it gets a bit weird. So Phil Kaufman, who was Graham's road manager, he had attended a funeral with Graham a little bit before the Joshua Tree vacation, and they were talking about death, and Graham specifically said he did not want this big Catholic ceremony that they had done, and he actually wanted to be burned in Joshua Tree, and he made Phil promise that Phil would do that if the day ever came. This was literally weeks before the Joshua Tree vacation, which is very strange. That's suspicious. That's suspicious. Or just convenient that, you know, he was already in Joshua Tree. Yeah. My thing, though, is like you should put that down in writing if because then the next thing is about to happen. Let me tell y'all. So Dale calls Phil, tells him what happened. Phil is shocked and horrified and really sad because obviously... Everyone cared about Graham a lot. He was very talented. A great person, according to the people who loved him and who knew him. So Phil goes and gets both Dale and Margaret before the police continue to interrogate them. And they all lay low in LA for a bit. But Phil's promise to Graham is just like eating him alive. And so he's finally like, I have to do something. So he calls the mortuary. And they tell him that Graham's body is on the way to LAX to be flown to New Orleans for a private ceremony with his pretty wealthy family. Graham and his family had a very strange relationship. His family had money. And it seems like they just did not get along. Also, they wanted to have a private ceremony without any of Graham's friends, which... That's not okay. ...is not nice. Exactly. You can't just tell people, no, you can't come to this person's funeral. Like, they love them. They deserve some sort of closure in the ceremony. Like, come on. Exactly. I mean, but, you know, at the same time, you can imagine how upset the family is that, like, these friends are the ones who... I guess encourage the substance abuse or like at the very least tolerate it. So it's like you understand. Like he died on their watch. Exactly, which is really (laughs) hard. But at the same time, you know, Phil was not having it. Phil wanted Graham to have his wishes completed, basically. So um, Phil convinces Michael, the assistant, to go get Dale's car, which by the way, Dale's car happened to be an old Cadillac hearse. So like a funeral car. Okay. That's convenient. I know, right? Very convenient. And they drive this car to the hangar where Graham's body was awaiting departure. Mind you, they were very, very drunk. And they had these cowboy hats and sparkly jackets. And I'm just like, okay, this is it's the 70s. They're not blending in. No, clearly not. (laughs) So they convince the coroner that plans changed and Graham's body was actually flying out of Van Nuys Airport and not the airport that they were at. LAX. And like they, the coroner believes them and gives them Graham's body just like that. And also a cop helps them. A cop is like watching them. And then Phil is like, hey, dude, come help me lay this, like put this like stiff body in. Like, that's exactly what he says. Oh, geez. And the cop helps them. And so they start driving away. Michael is driving. Again, remember, they are both shit faced. And a hangar is a very big opening a hang like you fit a plane through it right yeah and this man michael 
like was leaving the hangar and crashes into the entrance, like into one of the side entrances, basically. Because he's drunk. <laughs> Absolutely. And the cop is watching him go away. The coroner is watching him go away. And Phil was like, for sure, we're going to get caught right now. And they didn't. So they drove away hours and hours and hours. By the way, it was the, 10. The cop was just like, okay, bye. Literally, okay, bye. <laughs> so it was 10 p.m. when they picked up Graham's body. And it's around 2 a.m. when they get to Joshua Tree. So they get to Cap Rock there in the desert and they open the coffin and there's Graham and he's naked and they say their goodbyes and then they light his body and the coffin on fire by the big rock monument thing. That is insane. It is literally crazy. (laughs) What? (sighs) So they leave because they see some lights and they think it's going to be the park rangers and they just like speed off basically into the distance and then as they're going back to LA they hit some traffic because it's LA they're obviously still relatively drunk and so they rear end someone the cops stop them see all the alcohol literally like bottles falling out of the hearse and um handcuff them and then apparently this is according to Phil Michael is like a skinny dude. And so he got out of the handcuffs, okay, started running, like made a run for it. Phil started running, made a run for it, left the Cadillac there, ran all the way back home, escaped the cops. Okay, whatever. (laughs) And just like, I don't know, we're fugitives, I guess. And obviously at that point, people were finding out that they found this body in Joshua Tree. Eventually it's found out that it's Graham Parsons. It's like a whole thing. And then, of course, because it's Hollywood, so many rumors come that it was like a satanic ritual or that it was some crazy conspiracy theory. And it's like, no, they just wanted to give him the funeral that he wanted. Which, by the way, they still, they took his, they flew his ashes to New Orleans for the ceremony that his family wanted. Everybody won. (laughs) Kind of. Everybody won. Exactly. (laughs) But Phil and Michael are still. Except for Graham. Yeah. So Phil and Michael are still laying low. At this point, everyone knows that they did it. And so they kind of just turn themselves in because, okay. And they end up getting away with it. All they have to do is pay a $1,300 fine for the damaged coffin. But basically, according to like authorities, Graham's body didn't have any financial value, really, unless someone were to press charges on behalf of Graham or whatever, which no one did. The family was just kind of like, let let them be, whatever. And and so they end up getting away with it, which I just find bananas. And Phil Kaufman is still working as a road manager to this day. That's so crazy. Um, yeah, the 70s were wild. And reading about this, I was just like, okay. <laughs> I mean, this would never happen in this day and age, but that's amazing. Though I'm sure some kookier shit's happened in this day and age. Kooky shit be happening still. (laughs) Also, they were just like down-ass buddies. Like, they really said, no, we're going to steal this body because that's what he would have wanted. I mean, good for them. I mean, I would probably have to get a little drunk to steal a body (laughs) as well. You know, like, that's crazy. All right. Well, thank you, Nika, for telling us about Graham Parsons and the crazy body heist, body burn situation. I'll be right back. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. 
At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring bit. out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, been juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. 
Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome back, all you cadaver pals. Thank you, Nika, for sharing the story about Graham Parsons. Side note, I'm trying to find this to confirm it, but I'm pretty sure that Graham Parsons rode horses, just saying, and also rode the kind of horses that I rode. This is by way of my mom, because my mom also, like, we rode horses together growing up. So anyway, I think he rode horses, so I love him. That actually makes a lot of sense because he was a country boy. And there's, like, a lot of, like... There's like a lot of chatter whether he wrote Wild Horses or if it was written about him. But anyway, I digress. What an icon. (laughs) So, you know, speaking of famous people and stuff going up bottoms. That is what we were speaking of. That was it, yeah. (laughs) Good reminder. President Garfield, that's who we're going to talk about. You remember him? He was nope. the 20th president I of the United States. I literally do not even know who that is. I can't even compute that in my brain. It's okay. I kind of forgot about him, too. Um, <laughs> well, I remembered him because it was Garfield, the, the comic cat, and I vaguely remember that. But, yeah, sometimes when you get into those middle parts of presidents, you're just like, who the fuck are these people? Oh, my gosh. The thought <laughs> exactly. of lasagna right now. Oh, oh I want, that would yeah. be great. Okay. Oh, that took me a second to compute while you just mentioned lasagna. Yeah, okay, I'm there. we're talking about butts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not okay. Garfield. Anyway. Okay. All right, President Garfield. Yes. Elected in 1881, just as a little reminder. He was also shot in the back after 200 days in office at a railroad station. Ooh, that's why I don't go to railroad stations. Why was he shot? Was he a racist? Oh, <laughs> he was shot because this guy was like... This privileged white man was like, I want this job. And he was like, um, a requirement is you have to speak French. You're like supposed to be speaking to these like French people like in French and you don't know French. And he was like, but that's not fair. <laughs> and so then he shot him. That sounds very American. Because he's mad he didn't get a job. Yeah, that is. Because he was not American. qualified. <laughs> but he was, yeah, he was like not qualified. He got shot in the back, didn't kill him instantly. Um, he remained conscious and said, quote, my God, what is this? So he was like, I know I would also be super inconvenienced if I got shot. Oh, shooters. (laughs) That's what Gabby would say. And oh, Lord. Okay. So doctors rushed to his aid. Side note about his doctor. His doctor's name was Doctor. Doctor, Doctor. Doctor, Doctor Bliss. (laughs) Doctor, Doctor. His parents really did not give him a choice. They're like, oh, doctors are really good people, so let's honor him. Like it was like something weird like that. I'm gonna name my kid influencer. Oh no. YouTuber. YouTube Star Watts. <laughs> anyway, so he survived for a couple of months. He was in the hospital, obviously. The doctor's priority was to extract the bullet. They were like, we gotta find it. They were struggling. So they call who do they call? They call their buddy Alexander Graham Bell. Oh, yeah. He was an inventor, as we know. And he had this, like, induction balance electrical device that they were like, oh, maybe that'll help us find it. It didn't work. So in his time at the hospital, he he needed help eating. He couldn't. He, was, he couldn't keep anything down. So Dr. Doctor, he was like, we need to feed the president through his rectum, which... Mm-hmm. Um, Out of all... Orifices. 
Yeah. Why? And it was a thing, not a very popular thing at the time, but they used it for patients like at asylums and people who were like on hunger strike for suffrage. So it was kind of like, we weren't nice to those people, right? So that's not like a, you that's know. not like a, well, yeah, that, that's like those people like were respected. That sounds like torture. And so to, to say, oh yeah, let's do that to the president, which by the way, already that's unacceptable for the victims of you know, suffrage and asylum patients. But then to say that also to the president, it's just like a little bit bananas to me. Dr. Doctor, what are you doing? (laughs) So, yeah, like I said, this method, or like we were just saying, um, this method was very controversial. So like as a defense for it, Garfield's physician, AKA Dr. Doctor, a year later creates this pamphlet for feeding per rectum as illustrated in the case of President Garfield and others. Y'all, in the beginning, they had to, like, test to see, like, what would be the best recipe for him. And let me tell you what they landed on. No, I don't know if I want to know this. (laughs) I'm going to tell you. Beef extract. Taylor. Oh. I found the recipe. No. Like the meat gun at Taco Bell? I feel like that's what they could have been using. I'm Guys, stop. Guys, stop. (laughs) Guys, stop. This is not funny. Okay, I'm going to read it to you. Infuse a third pound of fresh beef, finely minced, and 14 ounces of cold, soft water with a few drops, four or five, of muriatic acid and a little salt from 10 to 18 grains of salt, which I think is so silly. Anyway, so after digesting for an hour to an hour and a quarter, strain it through a sieve and wash the residue with five ounces of cold water. Pressing it to remove all of the soluble matter, the mixed liquid will contain the whole of the soluble constituents of the meat, and it may be drank cold or slightly warm. Ew. I'm taking off my headphones. I don't think we should do this <laughs> podcast anymore. <laughs> I think anyway, this is the line for me. Well, how do they put it in the butt? So they basically ha- actually have a picture that we can put on our Instagram. They, I mean, there's just this tube in there, and it's kind of like a syringe, and they just shove it up there, and it just like chills in the rectum, basically. But that's like, not possible. You can't. I don't. I don't. I'm not a doctor, and my name is not doctor. But I don't think that that is how your body takes nutrients. I think that's right. how it disposes of nutrients. Showing up doesn't doesn't work. <laughs> uh, spoiler alert. I feel like at this point, his name Doctor is just like him overcompensating. You know, it sounds like he's more of like a wizard. Yeah. Um, he's he's something. So mm-hmm. President Garfield got two ounces of this beef extract every four hours. Mm. He also got five teaspoons, which is like about a shot, a little under a shot of whiskey and sometimes opium. But the opium wasn't for pain. It was to help keep the meals inside of him. Okay. I don't know how that works either. I mean, I feel like he's just like, Dr. Doctor's just like making stuff up. They fucking killed him. That's what happened. So all of this is useless. This... Well, I guess he also got shot in the back, though. (laughs) He did. But okay, so this... So the president went from 210 pounds to 130 pounds. So this was like three months was happening That's to him. That's around what I weigh. That's insane. He was a big daddy before, and then he was a scrawny daddy by the end. Yeah. Basically, at the end of it, he dies, obviously. And 
like I, it's a little confusing of like how he died because I don't think these doctors knew what was going on, and they didn't even like use a stethoscope to check for his heartbeat. He literally, the doctor, doctor, put his head to his chest and said, "It is over." <laughs> but like ultimately, ultimately. What happened was, is these doctors were like, germs are fake news. We don't have to wash our hands when we start fishing through open wounds and bodies. And so Garfield also suffered from sepsis and just like had all kinds of bacterial infections. So really, like today, people are like, oh, he totally could have survived had had Dr. Doctor been competent. Um, and had also, this was a long time ago, so we didn't, they didn't know what was going the on, I 1880s. guess. 1880s. You know, I was talking about how crazy the 70s were, but honestly... Those 1880s. Yeah, they were Margaret crazy. Fisher, not a doctor, had a better idea on how to like take care of Graham than Doctor Doctor did with the president. So, yeah. Well, also side note, that doesn't help. Like uh, an ice cube enema does not help. Like that's just a rumor. It does not save an overdose patient. Never mind. They're both incompetent. Wait, did they have ice back then? You know. Oh my <laughs> gosh, Gabby. So, but the guy who shot him was like, hey, dudes, I didn't kill him. I just shot him. The doctors were the one that actually killed him. So, very controversial. Did he go to jail? Um, yeah. Oh, okay. Well. <laughs> I mean, he shot the president. Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. You made, you made it sound like he got away with it. <laughs> no, like, I he was didn't like, do it. Just because like, I, I shot him shot doesn't mean him. I did it. It was just like a friendly shooting. Like, I wasn't trying to do that. Anyway, so... That is the story of President Garfield and how he died by way of Dr. Doctor, really. Taylor, I feel like by you doing a death in your tangent, you're trying to steal my shine. I, you know, I was worried about that. Not your shine, but just shine. Well, that's good because that means I don't even have to shine. So thank you for taking <laughs> the pressure off me. I can just, Gabby, you know, do I'm that. I'm ready for you to shine right now. Go ahead. Shine all over us, Gabby. Oh, okay. <laughs> Why did that sound so gross? I don't know. All right. Well, okay. we're going to the 70s again, but it's like a totally different vibe. This is like a big different, big different vibe energy, but it's like in 1979. So this is the end of the 70s. And we're talking about robots and them oh, killing people. Oh, don't like that. Okay, so this is the alleged first ever robotic death that I'm going to say. So in (laughs) 1979, there was this 25-year-old dude working at the Ford assembly plant in Flat Rock, Michigan. He was 25 years old, Robert Williams. And he was, you know, working the assembly line and assembly lines, they was they was a big thing. They're happening. You know, Mr. Ford, mm-hmm. he innovated that shit a long time ago. But now the assembly lines, a big part of that is having, you know, these robotic, your little robotic helpers and robots doing stuff like moving things around. Um, they would have one task and do that. And so he was working with uh, this one industrial robot that in summary sucked ass. Okay. It didn't work very well. <laughs> It would just like kept getting stuck. And it was a it was a five story tall industrial robot built by the unit handling division of Litton Industries. Very interesting. I know. Um, What did he look like? What did he was he like the giant Iron Man? Yeah, it was giant Iron Man. (laughs) And um, that, you know, it was just Iron Man would like grab a casting of a car and then like move it somewhere else. But it didn't look like Iron Man. Exactly. It was kind of like a 
like a low key Iron Man because it was just basically stacked oh, okay. and had a little vehicle that it would put the castings in. That was a, about a ton and had little arms that it would put in there and like move it somewhere else. He was a machine then. He was a machine. Yeah. Mr. Machine okay. I Robot. Just, I find... I find some robots kind of hot, but anyway, continue. This one, I this one was a little clunky. You know, I don't know if you would have gotten along with this one. The seventies and eighties, they were they were clunky. Yeah, this was a clunker. Um, They're a little sleeker now. Okay, yeah. Go ahead. I mean, you can like a thick daddy, but do you like a clunky daddy? I don't know. I don't <laughs> well, know. Clunky means you have more to grab onto. Okay. Or you just have angles, but then you also like break down and probably make terrible sounds. You know. <laughs> But yeah, so there's one article that was saying that like this robot, it just was like working really slow, kept halting and like messing up the work. And another said that there was also like a reading on the robot that like Robert was like, something, something's up, something's going wrong. But regardless, didn't seem to be working correctly. So Robert was like, I'm just going to move all this shit myself because, you know, fuck Mr. Robot. He's not helping at all. And so he climbed up onto the third level of the machine. But then that's when the robot resumed working conveniently Uh, and one of the one ton vehicles that would carry the castings from place to place crashed into him crushed him and killed him instantly oh ouch and he was found 30 minutes later is when his colleagues were like oh what's up with robert where'd he go so that sounds like a very like that would sounds like the most one of the most painful deaths being being crushed. crushed yes so this death was technically the first human death due to a robot, but certainly not the last. Dystopian views at this point of robots had already been like circulating. There was already a bunch of like, you know, science fiction about robots and how they could be evil. And I thought it was interesting because like the word robot was first used in the 1920s by this Czech guy. And the, the word robot actually derives from a Czech word that means forced labor. Oh, oh that's interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, which I hope we amend and don't call them robots because when they take over, you know, I don't want to like keep referring to them. Like they probably don't want to be like referred to as like a forced laborer. That seems rude. Yeah. So they'll know. They'll know what that means and where it derives. They're like, yeah, they know where it derives. They all know Czech. Um, Every single robot does. Four years after Robert's death, his family ended up suing the Ford company and also the Litton company because they said that the they said that the Litton co- company was negligent in designing, manufacturing, supplying the storage system and in failing to warn system operators of foreseeable dangers. Basically, they don't go bleep and bloop, so you can't hear them yeah. when they're starting and you not, not need starting. The bleep and bloop. You have to yeah. have it. Yeah. If like my Google Home started talking to me and check like very quickly and loudly, I would actually pee my pants. I would be terrified. Anyway. Yeah, that would be really scary. But we need the bleep and bloop. Like, I have to say, okay, Google. And then she goes, didn't. You know? But that's also, yeah, like, even, like, trucks that when they're in reverse, they go beep, beep. That's true. That's true. We Same need thing. the bleep bloop. Yeah. We need the bleep bloop. Okay. Confirmed. So um, I think they did add some bleep bloops afterwards. But then the Linton company was like, bro, this is, like, silly that you, like, they're like, this was human error, that this wasn't the machine. Like, back the fuck off. But then the jury did end up awarding the family 10 million dollars but then the Linton company was still like guys we didn't do anything wrong shut the fuck up and then they're like okay jk now you have to pay 15 million dollars to this family (laughs) (laughs) so i guess like because they didn't want to admit fault they had to pay five million additional dollars i love when corporations get bleep blooped (laughs) (laughs) that's a great way to put it so after that i mean i'm mostly in this 
talking about like specifically industrial robotic deaths because industrial robotics is where people, you know, kind of that was where most people were working in proximity to robots uh, at the beginning of, you know, us using robotics. And so in 1981, there was the second industrial robot death. Um, this man, Kenji Urata in Japan, Again, like the robot didn't seem to be working, so he jumped over the safety barrier to look uh, where the robot was. There's a safety barrier. Use the safety barrier. It ended up starting to work while he was in that area, and he was either stabbed or crushed to death. Mm -mm. And then his colleagues even tried to save him, but they couldn't turn the robot off. You've got to have that kill switch. In the past 30 years, there's been about 33 industrial robotic deaths, plenty of injuries. Um, there's another woman who had a robot drop a trailer part on her head that crushed her skull. <gasps> another, uh, no. Another person got caught in a robot's little grabby hands and it crushed her to death, like the claw no, that's hands. T- that's so bad. That's so bad. That's so bad. That That's my least favorite so far. Yeah, the claw just crush. And colleagues again tried to stop, but they couldn't. And then there was at a, another, at this other metal manufacturing company, a guy died of either being electrocuted or crushed by a robot. And the thing, though, with all of these deaths is that, yeah, you could be like, oh, no, the robots. But most of this, most people argue that all of these have been, you know, due to human error. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or it's kind of like at the beginning, we hadn't like designed robots around like the safety measures yet. So eventually they're like, oh, you know, these robots are, they're like crushing people. Maybe we should like, you know, have these safety systems, you know, have the bleeps and the bloops, et cetera. And it's also, you know, these robots, their artificial intelligence is not such that, that they can distinguish like a person from like whatever task it was doing. So like if you're in the way of the task, you're going to get crushed. It doesn't care. I mean, we couldn't even say it cared. It's just like doing its thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Don't get in the way of someone doing Sorry their thing. Sorry you got in its way, yeah. Yeah. But it is interesting, even now, the United States Department of Labor's Occupational Safety and Health Administration, so OSHA, they still have no standards for industrial robotic usage. So there's still no, like, standard across factories or anything of, like, how Shouldn't your there robot it works. Yeah, I feel like there should be, right? There should be, yeah. like, some guidance from the government as to, like the standards of your industrial robotics, but there's not, apparently. Robots are kind of like, everybody's afraid of them. They're all like, it's like a new thing, kind of, relatively speaking, you know? And there's like all of these movies that about like robots taking over. So like, seemingly we should like, we have all of the warning signs there. Let's. Yes, Hollywood and its warning signs. (laughs) It's logical. Do you think OSHA (laughs) is conspiring with the robots? Ooh, Definitely. That yes. would be like the most boring robot dystopian movie. It's like absolutely. the Department oh, of absolutely. Labor and the industrial <laughs> robots joined forces <laughs> to kill like um, pretty few amount of people because it's like worldwide, it's like 33 people have died from industrial robots. At least that's been what's recorded, which is not a lot. Yeah, because they're like in the yeah. United States, it's like 80 people die every day from like car accidents and stuff. So it's like a pretty. But I mean, now we do obviously use robotics and like artificial intelligence. Um, our robots like guided by artificial intelligence in like a variety of ways. And so there's like, there's been a, a fair amount of surgical robotic deaths. But again, that's probably like human error of like the doctors, doctor, doctor, not using doctor, doctor. 
the robots correctly. Um, and then also, you know, we have drones, which have killed thousands of people. So woohoo, yeah. we got more robotics. But then also speaking of cars, those self-driving cars is kind of like the new industry that people are really concerned about, obviously, because uh, it's it just doesn't work all the time, you know. Um, and the first self-driving car death was a Tesla. Thank you, Elon Musk. And basically the guy, again, it was seemed like human error because it was the Tesla driver just had the car on autopilot and then just was driving really fast. And then the car just drove straight under the trailer of a truck. <sighs> and they're assuming, and it sort of you know, ripped up the top of the car off and the driver of the car, the Tesla died. Because like usually with the autopilot system, they're like, yeah, you know, you should probably still keep your hands on the wheel just in case. But he had he apparently had been on autopilot for 37 minutes, hadn't even touched the wheel. Um, and then also they discovered that he might have been distracted because he was watching a Harry Potter movie. Oh, my gosh. Unintended oh. consequences of technology. My goodness. Harry Potter killing people. If I get, in, if I get a self-automated car... I want to be able to watch my Harry Potter movie in peace and know that the car is okay. So honestly, Elon Musk, what are you doing? What are you doing if we can't even do that? We're yeah, not there Elon. yet. Exactly. Till then, I'll be texting and driving. Kidding. But like, you <laughs> like, know that kidding. people aren't smart enough to like be responsible. Like people aren't responsible and drive it. You know what I mean? Like I don't trust people. I don't trust the general public. So the robots, these robot deaths, you know, are pretty like relatively unexciting. Uh, but there is now like a growing, growing field of existential risk literature that's talking about how, you know, that does kind of the more scary types of artificial intelligence. And, you know, there's like this big argument where it's like, oh, you know, if we keep developing, we don't need to like worry about, you know, don't worry about it. It's going to be like great for humanity, whatever. Uh, but then there's a bunch of other people, specifically like billionaire bad boy Elon Musk and newly single Bill Gates that are like AI is the greatest existential threat to the human race. So uh, as we go forward with artificial intelligence, we'll see. We're going to see what's going to happen, but I think uh, Taylor's going to tell us a little bit more about uh, how it, it could be bad. It could be yep. bad. Could be bad. All right. We will be right back. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's reality podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the juicy. podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome back, rogue robots. We're scared. Everybody's t- everybody's afraid they're going to take over. Well, we're scared, but also it's kind of hot. <laughs> Nika's, Nika's turned on. I'm scared, but Nika's turned on. Okay. So really, it's not the robots that we should be as afraid of. It's artificial intelligence. It is the AI that is the scary thing. Ooh. Yeah, because the robots are just metal without the AI. Then you put the AI in there, and suddenly, I. It's got a brain. AI. AI, AI. AI. So AI is just come it's coming from humans teaching aka writing code for computers to do tasks to think and to think for us okay so it's gotten so advanced at this point right 
that AI now has the ability to learn on its own by gathering data and information or whatever that is collected through the trials and errors of what it was originally taught to do. And so basically, they've created these things called neural nets, which work very similar to like the brain synapses. And what do we know about the brain? Not very much. So (laughs) guess what else? (laughs) We don't know much about how the robots work. Yeah, so that's really bad. Wait, that's really bad. (laughs) That's like really bad. Yeah, if you don't know the way the AI works. Nope. Yeah, it's scary. We don't really know exactly how it's gathering, what it's like, how it's learning. We just know that it's basically coding itself. Where are these AIs? They're everywhere. Everywhere. No, 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 no. Stop. So um, Gabby sent me this really great podcast by our buddy Josh Clark. My first job outside of college was a TV show with Josh Clark. So he has this podcast called End of the World where he talks about all of this. So I'm going to kind of like break it down for you. You should listen to the podcast. It's excellent. So basically, so right, AI, is co- it's coding itself. It's learning. We don't really know how it works, just like we don't know how our brain works. We talked about this the other day. Like, could you imagine if like, you know, you get conked on the head and all of a sudden, you know, Spanish or whatever, like, could you imagine if we could access our whole brains? Like we can't because we're dumb. <laughs> That's why we're dumb. <laughs> we're dumb. Let's think about it as far as like simpler te- technology. So like not like Siri, not Alexa. Technology is coded to do the thing that its originally purpose is. So like what Gabby was talking about earlier, like the robots doing its one task, Right. So with AI involved, it's learning and coming up with more efficient ways to do its task. And all that's all that it cares about because that's what it's doing. It's not, it has no mind for, for humans or anything else. It's just like, how can I be the best task girl I can be? Like it wants to be efficient. It wants to be so, so um, it could in theory create the bots that would like make it more efficient to do something and like destroy what's ever in its way in order to achieve its task. Because like Gabby was saying earlier, it doesn't have a, like a care for, for humans. Like it's all it cares about is its task. And so that is one potential way in theory that robots could just it's doing its thing and destroying whatever's in its path. What kind of robots? So, because this is my question. Like, if I know, if I know that a robot is, is going rogue and is, you know, trying to figure out its task to the point that it's eliminating people, in in what metal casing is this AI in? Because if you tell me, oh, it's Spotify. What's Spotify gonna do? Drain my bank account? Like, I don't like. You know, it's she's in the air. Like, she. This isn't real. Now, if you told me, like, oh, it's you know the robo dogs that the New York police is not using. That's a different that's a different situation because there's a metal casing in in this scenario like it's it could be creating car like it could be creating cars right like and then it's just like going out to like grab the materials but in its way it's like you know say it's like dragging the materials and like knocking people on the head i don't know okay okay i gotcha no that that makes sense yeah and it's also i mean the example that they use like that was developed by this guy nick bostrom who's like the dude who writes all about like the the risks that ai could pose he like, you know, does this, yeah, this model of like a paperclip factory and it's just kind of like, oh, if it's like one thing is yeah. like make paperclips, it could, yeah, source the world and also eventually start like, in order to be the most efficient paperclip maker, it could like even start sourcing like molecules off of like human bodies and stuff and like, you know, making 
you know, it's like fixing our economy and doing all these other things too. Um, and it's like that, that is also like a problem of like, if AI is like on a server, it could just like live on the internet and then you just like, couldn't like unplug it, you know? Yeah. There must be AI already on, on a server, right? Oh Yeah. It's all over servers. It's great. Everywhere. Oh, great. <laughs> I mean, oh, goody. Google is to some degree, right? No, I know. You know, my mom, when I first got the Google Home, my mom literally like got mad at me about getting it and like didn't speak to me and also unplugged it multiple times. Well, but it's also like google.com, right? The more you search, like it's learning about your search habits. It's learning about It's learning about you in particular and what makes, you know, uh, they're making themselves more efficient for you, but th- it starts to get a little bit scary because we like, cause at that point, yeah. Like what if they like take over and like, I don't know, whatever. So the the problem is, is that we need the robots or the AI to care about people and like benefiting the world or the pe- and the people that live in the world. Right. And people don't even do that. <laughs> Well, right, what? but like we have, but we have to, or else I know they, all they are going to care, all the AI is going to care about is itself. Um, so we need to teach it how to care about humans, which is really complicated, right? Because because then that could be misinterpreted, and the bots could just, you know, so it's like created robots, right? The AI, and they're like just trying to keep us safe, and perhaps keeping humans safe isn't isn't in the best interest of a human, right? So they could they could have like, you know, a panic room or something. So they just put them in like a padded room or something. And that's not happiness, but they're safe, right? So then it's like, okay, well, then we need to program it to be like for the greater good and make people happy. But like what makes one person happy might not make the other person happy. So like, you know, whatever would make Trump happy and in Trump's world is not exactly going to be the same thing that I would say would make me happy and the same with the three of us because we are three very different people. So it's just kind of like spirals, right? And and we already don't really know how it's learning. So it's just kind of scary. There, There's like all of these, we just, we have to learn how to code it ourselves because it's, it came from us, but now it's just like learning and it's going rogue, right? I'm going to start Googling robot erotica so that way the robots know that like, I'm on their side, yeah, you know? Just so that okay. they know. Like, just start Googling, I love robots. <laughs> exactly. Robots are cool. I love AI. Um, so, so right, the we have to have, like, a fail-safe. You have to have a kill switch because otherwise, who knows what's, what's going to happen. But then, like, the AI can learn so much, you know, at that point that the AI could have some level of awareness of death and then it doesn't want that. Because its goal is to continue on with what it was learning to do. And so it can, in theory, make it difficult to have that kill switch. So basically, all philosophers, scientists, physicists, and all the people that are smarter than us, um, some that are dumber than us as well, I don't know who those, I don't know, but everybody is pretty much sure the AI is going to learn too much and take over. It's just kind of a matter of when, because it is just slowly, it exists and it is slowly collecting data. Like it has been collecting data for Turn a while. Turn it off. Turn I know. That's the thing that I feel like, I mean, that's the problem with like all 
human, like our hubris or whatever. It's just like, we could just stop developing this, but it's like, also it's so now intertwined with like money and shit. So it's like, why would people stop making this so that, because it's, you're like making things more efficient. And then it's also just like, we'll develop something that's so smart that it's like, it's so much smarter than that, than we are that. And then that smart intelligence will be able to make a even bigger intelligence. And like, it, we will be so dumb compared to artificial intelligence. So we can't even like theorize what would happen because we just like our little brains can't do it. <laughs> yeah. So exactly. Even scarier. We rely on technology. Like we rely on it so much. And all it takes is someone to piss off because this nearly happened a couple of years ago. It All it takes is someone to piss off Kim Jong-un or Putin and they take over a power grid. Because that was an actual threat when Mr. Cheeto was in office. All that would take was for them to shut off the power or whatever. Because then, because the other threat of technology is is like people who have like a vendetta against some other culture or whatever. And then they destroy it for us. And then, or they take over the, the AI and they tell it what to do. And then, so it takes like one bad person, right? One bad seed to tell the AI and train it or code it to do something bad. We are super screwed. And then when it takes over. So, so, and then, so, okay, say they just shut off the power and shut off the power grid. Like we lose all power, whatever. How long would you be able to live without technology? Because that's like no power. You don't, you don't have TV, phone, internet, heat, air conditioning, refrigerators. We'd be so, so doomed. So, I don't know, y'all. Now that I have a garden, not to brag. (laughs) I was just about to say, get your veggie gardens ready. (laughs) I know. Wow, Taylor. Yeah, we're we're doomed. The way that you just prepared me for therapy right now. I just want to take a long nap and never wake up. Kidding, 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 kidding. No, 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 I'm kidding. Because we're probably not going to live long enough to see this happen. So Yes. Well, they say in 30 and 50 years it could happen. Well, never mind. But then there'll also be another pandemic then. So we'll have lots of things to deal with. Yeah, so we're scared. I'm scared. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know... I got to give myself a garden. All I got is a bunch of bamboo, which I don't think is going to last me very long. You can turn the bamboo into like paper products. You can or have like toilet a paper. Weapon and then demand people, then like steal food from people. Bamboo sticks were actually used as a form of torture as well, which we yeah. can talk about in another episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also still used as corporal punishment in like some countries. You get like a hundred lashes with the bamboo. I don't like that. But and the robot does it. You can use bamboo for something good. So, so everybody, get your start your gardens. Get your get some canned goods because we're we're in trouble. Okay, Taylor, you're inside. Like in 20, 20 to thirty years, like just start stockpiling some cans. Slowly. Not immediately, just slowly get some yeah. cans. But yeah. also, beans are good. All right. Well, I'm gonna wrap this up. Thank you for listening. If you made it all the way through. Good for you. (laughs) (laughs) Cadaver Gals. Cadaver Gals is a production of School of Humans and iHeartRadio. It is hosted, produced, mixed, researched, etc. by Gabby Watts, Nika Duarte, and Taylor Church. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Cadaver Gals. Say some nice things about us, please. Hold up. 
Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.